Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to a Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're London... No, we're not. Yes, we are. What are we? <laughs> Qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. There we go. <laughs> we are London. Um... <laughs> oh, gosh, you got me right off sync here. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London Podcast and on our website, skydemily.com. And alexlacey.com, as well as our dedicated website, ladieswholondon.com, for more information about the podcast, the show notes, and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Slicker at the end than the beginning. <laughs> Goodness me. Hello, Alex. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? <laughs> I'm very tired. <laughs> this oh, season man. is... Oh, it's unbelievable. I, I I can't. Every everyone is saying, aren't they? All the guys are saying, what what's happened? It's gone from I think zero it's to just, sixty. Um, exactly. There was no kind of build up or yeah. or you know bang. like this is what's going to happen. It was just boom. Yeah. I mean, which is wonderful. It's so lovely to see so many people back on the streets and so many people looking at buildings where you know that ah, oh, this is the first time they've seen this building or seen yeah. that. It's yeah, that excited feeling like, back in London. Oh my, I can't. I literally cannot keep up with emails. I just cannot keep up. You're just and my... such a wanted lady, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the police more than anything. Um, yeah, exactly. Who are these I... emails from? There's <laughs> loads of people coming in going, hi, can I do a tour with you tomorrow? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm so Sorry. It's so, it's so hard. Um, but yeah, I know I've got, I've got tons of emails to respond to. Um, just how, they're in, not enough hours in the day. It's mad. It's no, mad. but yeah. goodness me, like in such a fortunate position, so many other industries haven't bounced back like this so yeah. you know we're incredibly lucky yeah absolutely we shouldn't moan but we're gonna no. anyway because we're british no. and that's what we exactly do. <laughs> yeah that's what we bloody love to do <laughs> hello listeners welcome back i hope uh I hope you've had a lovely week as well i hope you're not as busy as me and em um you wait you wait till we get to the winter and we've got nothing on and we'll be moaning about how quiet it is <laughs> exactly it's yeah. the beauty of tourism is the seasons are very very different Mm. Um, there we go have you got any shout outs this weekend i have got a couple of shout outs actually um okay. we've had some lovely messages one of which is from uh, a guy called dave snap snape, um, darling. Oh, sorry. <laughs> snape. there's an e on the end <laughs> there is an e on the end sorry 
<laughs> and he said, sorry, Dave, he didn't say that. He said, hi, I only recently discovered your podcast and what a find. I'm working my way through from the start and have just listened to the Match Girl strike episode. Brilliant. A friend of mine used to live in the Bow Quarter, so I spent a lot of time there. In fact, I used to stay there when he was on holiday. Free gym, spa and pool. Ooh, oh, nice. <laughs> Friends in high places, Dave. Yeah. A fascinating place, steeped in history. And as a child of a striking minor in the 80s, it's somewhere I was really interested in finding more information about. Thanks for the episode. Aww, oh, thanks, Dave. welcome, Dave Snape. Thank you. Snape, not Snap. <laughs> not like Snap. <laughs> and we've had a lovely um, message from Kate Adams as well. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. She says, um, she's been catching up on our podcast and listened to the one about the Windmill Theatre. Um, and she's found a great little film about Sheila. She was a woman to a racing car driver. You may well have seen it, but if not, and then she put the, the link in there. Um, so we might have to put that on our socials because I did have a little look at the film. Which re- I didn't get through the whole thing because I didn't have time for a common theme in my life at the moment. Um, but she said, really enjoying all of your shows. The gorier, the better. Well, Kate, we've had a run of yes. gory stuff, so we're trying to trying to keep it a little less bloodthirsty. Well, you never know. Give it a couple more weeks. But thank you so much for getting in touch. We really appreciate that. Fabulous. We've also had one from, um, help me with the pronunciation, Rocio. <laughs> uh, Rocio. 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 I was completely, completely wrong. Um, so she said that she's a big fan of the podcast and she has been since day one. And it's her, her company every Wednesday. So we were uh, her company, basically. Oh, because well, we, hello. Because she listens to us every Wednesday. Or <laughs> well, Thursday, um, as it was the other week. <laughs> Thursday, yeah, if you're listening last week. Um, and she said that randomly uh, she got her husband a box of cookies, um, which just... Uh, coincidentally coincided with the episode on biscuits last week and she sent a picture of these beautiful biscuits oh my goodness me your husband yeah, they do was a look lucky nice. man can we, can we share them please we'd like yeah, some gosh they're absolutely gorgeous <laughs> Um, and we've had a lovely email from Gina Marie on Instagram as well. Um, he says, hello, with the Queen's Jubilee coming up, will there be a special episode maybe? I watched oh. a special about the televised coronation and wondered if there are any other stories in the past about past coronations and things that may have happened. Gina Marie, there definitely are some awesome stories about previous coronations. So I think, Emily, what do you think next week we do? Because next week is the Jubilee week. Kind of. Yeah, it is really, isn't it? It starts. It is, yes. First weekend of June. Trooping is on the second, and then mm-hmm. it goes through that weekend. So, should we do next week? We're not going to spin the wheel. We'll just do a, a coronation special. How about that? Yeah, let's That's do it. Because yeah. there are some, there are some brilliant stories about uh, coronations that have happened in previous years. Um, Ones that have gone wrong. Yeah, well, yeah, bits that have gone wrong, and 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 the, actually, the more I think about, it, the more I'm like, yeah, there's great stories. Right, that's what we're going to do next week. Um, so we're going to tell some coronation stories. Um, I think that's a good a good plan because we were we were toying with what to do for the jubilee and if we we're going to do anything. And our podcast isn't really that kind of thing, is it? It's not about oh, let's talk about Buckingham Palace or let's talk about the Queen. That's not quite our bag. No, so we actually, like to go down the niche avenues. Yeah, so like Gina Marie, I love that idea of of you know kind of little stories from previous coronations. I think that could definitely um, fit in with with what we do. So yeah, let's do that. I think yeah, that'd be brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. All right, cool. that's for next week. So we don't have to worry about the wheel. But what did we do last week, Alex? Last week was um, biscuits, wasn't it? It was biscuits. biscuits. We were dunking biscuits. Biscuits at the biscuit factory around the corner from here, over, over in Bermondsey, the Peak Freen 
biscuit factory and you you I mean I, there was a lot there I didn't know about you know custard creams being invented there and and I, I really enjoyed it I thought it was fantastic oh, um so our podcast pedestal toppers were and I, I really liked the one that you went for actually um which was the 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 kind of was it a Christmas tin or was it just a normal just a normal like biscuity I think it probably would have been advertised for Christmas right. yeah I haven't, um, I haven't, and I haven't as I was head. diving into it there were so many more that I didn't even know existed so that i put the picture that i put up on instagram in the end was four tins that fitted together to create a castle oh yeah really really beautiful um so yeah so i went for that yeah it was the tins that fit together to be a little robot wasn't it the one yeah so not just uh you know a tin to fit biscuits in but you could also use it for something else a little toy yeah Yeah. and i went for the joy slide which was the slide that still exists in uh, the local park and was put in place by the the factory as part of their kind of social engagement and things that their workers could do, which I, I thought was really sweet. I think it's been it's been changed a bit since then, but it's still it's the joy slide and you were saying how there's, you know, the plaque of the people on there who who kind of created it. Um and it was very, very close this week. Very close. It was almost Brexit numbers. Not quite. It was fifty three forty seven. Who's won this week, Emily? Who do you think? It can't be me again, surely. I no, mean, it's not. It's me. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to have to kind of slip off this winning streak somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you were close. You were close. There was only a few percent in it, but uh, it's mine. No, good for you. And I think to, for the joy slide, it, it should be up there because yeah. it was such a wonderful thing that was made and has been made again. So I might have to go there this week and see if I can have a go on it. I'll probably get yeah. stuck or break it, but you know. <laughs> No, I, I took Carmen there quite recently, actually. Yeah. Oh. So there we go. One to me. Woohoo. So I can't, I don't know what the scores are now, but I think uh, you've still got a couple to go before. Yeah, all right. Before you're reaching me. No, I think actually I'm only two ahead of you. Anyway, moving on. Moving, I think you're one ahead oh, now. Oh, sorry. Anyway, Can I just say, on. just yes. uh, I don't want to escape from the uh, subject of biscuits too rapidly because okay. I don't know if you remember me saying last week that if anybody wanted to go to the museum, although it was like incredibly niche, <laughs> and obviously you have to live in London, uh, well, I mean, you could visit well, here for that. How many hundreds of people took you up on that? <laughs> two. 200 people. That's impressive. <laughs> two people. And that doesn't include your eyes. So, um,. Yeah, I'm quite impressed that two people already have said yes. So, <laughs> but if anybody else wants to, I'm going to open this up for you, maybe another week. <laughs> you're assuming I want to. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true, actually. Do you not want to? Yes, of course I do. Of, of course, course I you do. do. Of course Trying I do. to find time in your schedule, that's going to yeah. be the issue. <laughs> November, let's do it then. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, um, that's that's yeah. your pet project then, you can sort that out. Yes, exactly. So let me know, let me know. Fantastic. Well... Uh, on to this week's podcast. Oh yes, what are we talking about? Well, this week, um, it was after I did that tour with Rosie. Hi Rosie, who got very excited that we gave her a shout out on last week's podcast. So you <laughs> Hi, can have Rosie. another one, Rosie. Here you go. Um, <laughs> right in again next week and we'll see if we can do a hat trick. Um, and it was it, when we landed on, uh, where did we land? Belgravia, wasn't it? That yes. um, we landed on this week. And this is where uh, Sophia Duleep Singh was born. And so she was kind of top of my mind because we'd just done that walk. And um, I really love her story. And it, it links in beautifully with one from a few weeks back, which was the Koei Noor Diamond. Oh, such because, a good story. Oh, it, it's, that story is, is quite a tragic one. And it's quite, it's, mm. it's quite an eye-opening one because people don't really know that story. Or we, you know, what I find... 
the whole nature of gifting to monarchs a bit awkward because it's not always gifted in the way that we might imagine it's more like I'll have that thank you oh you're giving it to me as a gift are you lovely um it's more that kind of thing and 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 that's what it was with the Koh i Noor and and yeah that the image of um that poor little little boy um have sort of having to hand over his well his kingdom and this this diamond and then giving it to her in person when he came to England it's all you know it's quite I don't know it's quite a sad story mm. so we're going to pick up that story of um, Duleep Singh. He's come to London and we... I don't know where we left his story, actually. I can't remember. I think we just sort of said, you know, he then lived in, in England and hung out with the Queen's son and the two of them were apparently boys on the town quite a lot mm. in their youth. They would go out and uh, him and Bertie, who later became um, uh, King Edward the... One of them. Which one? Seventh? Eighth? Seventh. Seventh, thank you very much. Um, I saw him today at Windsor, actually. Uh, Did you? He's still there. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, still lying in the same spot he was for the last, uh, well, few years anyway. <laughs> um, and he, yes, the two of them were, were good buddies and they'd go out kind of carousing and womanising by the sounds of it and having a good old kind of bachelor time on the town. And Duleep Singh uh, does settle down and, and get gets married. And he has a couple of daughters and one of them is this uh, this girl called Sophia. So she's called Sophia Duleep Singh. And she's born in 1876. Oh, do you think, like, uh, to name her Sophia or, like, Sapphire, is he kind of, like, holding on to... Oh, I don't know. The jewels past, you know, the jewels know. kind of... Um, who knows? You'd have to ask him. Good luck. Sophia. Uh, he's not around anymore. Um, so, well, she's... Sof- so you, if, you, if you read it written down, it's Sophia but it was pronounced Sophia. So Sophia Duleep Singh. So she's, you know, good pedigree. She's the daughter of this Maharaja. And because when Duleep Singh came to uh, the UK, he was kind of scooped up by Queen Victoria and, and, and used, well, she sort of had him as a, kind of like a godson, really, that sort of thing, or at least a sort of ward, if you like. Mm. Um, she was quite enchanted by this, this young exotic guy. And, And we know, you know, Queen Victoria, for all her faults, um, was very, very intrigued by India and the Indian subcontinent and, you know, had think, I'm sure everybody's heard of at least the film of um, Victorian Abdul that came out a few years ago that told mm-hmm. the story of one of these servants who was in her court called Abdul and he taught her um, Hindi and she would have curries on the table. She, she kind of, you know, she really went all in for it. So, yeah, she was, she found this, Duleep Singh when he came quite exotic but also very intriguing and she would you know learn from these people as well so despite all the, the kind of grimness of the Victorian era there are some some good bits that she was willing to kind of to learn from and um, so Sophia when she's born she ends up being a goddaughter of Queen Victoria as well and she ends up living late, later on in her life in Hampton Court Palace in a grace and favour apartment now oh. you know what a grace and favour apartment is don't you Em? yes so it's gone oh well it's i mean if you're working if you're staff basically that's where you're going to be living it's not really staff it's well it's sort of is i guess it's kind of it's property that's owned by the monarch in which they allow someone to live rent free often as sort of gratitude for services i guess or Mm. if they can't haven't got the money to kind of look after them or to, to support themselves then if they're linked to the monarch in some way so being a goddaughter that kind of thing and she's she saw she was described by um the lady who wrote the um 
her biography as an aristocratic pauper, which is a really interesting thing because she was the it girl at the time. She was on every guest list. She was going to every party. Everybody wanted her hairstyle. She was the Jennifer Aniston of the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She She was the woman. And Anita Anand, who's the lady who wrote her biography a few years back, described her as... She said for the very for the first sort of section of her life, she spent as much time as humanly possible trying to become as vacuous as she could. She was really? basically she just a socialite. Didn't want the attention. Yeah, well, no, she was just a socialite. She she didn't care about anything. She you know was this aristocratic girl who went to parties and lived the high life and just wasn't really engaged with anything in society or anything like that. So, it, what she'll later become is really quite a turnaround. So, she's born in Belgravia. Her father is um, this Maharaja who's come over to England. Her grandfather is Ranjit Singh, the guy that we chatted about a couple of weeks ago, the, the Lion of the Punjab. And so this this is quite a big, you know, pedigree, really. Um, when, uh, so as time goes on, her father, Duleep Singh, starts to sort of question this treaty that he's been forced to sign when he was really young. And he started to become quite bitter about it and started to rebel a little bit. So he, he's come over, he's been here for quite a while, he's been best buds with uh, with Bertie, he's got married, he's had kids, and it's after this that he starts to do that thing. You know when people get a little bit older sometimes, they start to kind of look at their roots a bit, and they start to go, where am I from, and what does it mean, and all that mm. kind of thing. And he starts to get really bitter about the whole, you know, East India Company taking his land away from him, and, and he gets quite bitter against the Queen particularly. And he starts saying to her, you know, why didn't you intervene in this? Why didn't you stand up for me as this young ruler? You're a ruler as well. Like, why didn't you do anything? God, I bet it's like, well, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well, you know, tell her how I feel. Yeah, but he's also got everything to lose because he's living a very nice life in in England. He's, you know, and Mm. he's not... You know, he, he's got no, there's nothing for him to go back to in India, really, although he wants to. So this is what he decides to do. He packs up his whole family and he says, right, we're going to go back to the Punjab and I'm going to reclaim my birthright. Now, this is wow. going to be, I mean, it's almost no chance at all he'd be able to do that. And if he did, it would probably be bitter and bloody and, and not very pleasant. And they were stopped en route and were arrested. And this is uh, Sophia's first arrest. I say first, It'll, she'll get arrested later again. And she's aged nine at this point. Wow. So she's really young. Now, at this point, Duleep Singh goes, uh, I, yeah, I, I can't, I just can't. And he dumps his family and goes off, just goes <gasps> off alone and ends no. up in exile in France. Yeah, yeah, he, he just can't, he can't handle it. You know, it, let's face it. Well, is that because he doesn't want to get them in any no, more trouble? It's, no, it's just that he, he cannot handle what's happened to him as a kid. He cannot handle... Mm this legacy and and what happened to him and realistically we talked last time about he was a really young boy when all this happened so Mm, it's probably this trauma coming to the surface I don't know but anyway he he ends up sort of exiled in France and at this point this is where Queen Victoria does step into the fray and she scoops up well I know right come on Vic but you know better late than never Uh, but she scoops up these these children who obviously don't have a father around anymore and she brings them back because I believe their mother has died by this point possibly I need to double check that but I I think um, I think that's the case and um, she scoops them all up she brings them brings them back and she takes control of their schooling she pays for their education 
She hosts the, the, the girls coming out party at Buckingham Palace, this whole debutante thing. And so this is where, this is where Sophia comes into this thing of being an aristocrat, being in the upper echelons of society, but having no cash because let's face it that you know the dad's got the money and queen vic is putting her up and and all that sort of stuff but not mm. really bankrolling you know to the extent that they you might expect their kind of pedigree but um what vic is saying with all of this that she's you know she's paying for their schooling and this this coming out party is that her vic is kind of saying it doesn't matter what your dad's done or is doing your position at court i've got that covered don't worry i'm going you're maintaining that it doesn't matter what he's up to you're safe, you're okay, I'm not going to kick you out, all that sort of stuff, which is, mm. you know, something... Maybe she's feeling decent. a bit guilty. Maybe, who knows, maybe. Yeah. But also, she was very fond of Dulip, and it stands to reason she'd be very fond of the girls as well, so who knows. So this is where Sophia becomes this socialite, and she goes to everything, in the opening of an envelope, she starts trends, and, you know, she just spends her 20s having an absolute whale of a time and being a party girl and all that kind of thing. And then something changes in 1903. Now, 1903, we've changed monarch. Queen Vic dies in 1901. So Edward VII, who's this guy that was hanging out with her dad, uh, becomes king and also becomes emperor of India. Now, in 1903, they decide they're going to travel to Delhi for the Delhi Durbar. And this is a huge sort of celebration of his coronation and his role as the Emperor of India. You know, as problematic as that is, but we're not dealing too much with that today. And Sophia and her sisters, they they kind of go, oh, would really quite like to go to that. And everyone's going, I don't recommend it. Um, you know, the circumstances under which your dad left India, everything that's gone on since then, you could, you know, security's an issue. Just don't go, just don't go. Mm. And she thinks, ah, stuff it. And so she and her sisters go oh, anyway. Yeah. Wow. Quite like how it. Old, how old are they at this point? Um, So this is 1903. She would be 27-ish, 27, 28, something like that. Okay. And when they say they're going to go, are they going to get on the same boat with the king? I or? don't know. I don't know how they go, to be honest. Um, But they, it, from what I've read, they kind of sneak in. So I don't think it was an official Ooh. visit. Oh, right. they, they obviously do their own thing. And she goes there and she wants to watch everything. She wants to kind of go back to this country that she's never been to, but that her heritage is from. Mm. And for the first time, she experiences outright racism. Now, I'm not to say that she hadn't experienced any racism up until that point, but this is where she sees racism against, you know, whole groups of people. There are hundreds, thousands of people that she sees there who look like her, but are treated as second-class citizens. And she sees them starving and she sees them suffering and she sees, you know, that they're fighting against this this yoke of British oppress oppression, this this emperor and this empire that's going on. And, you know, the the, the empire is something that is a, quite a, a, we've spoken a few times about how it's quite an uncomfortable bit of history mm. because we basically in our fabulous role as Brits who know best charge around the world going oh heathens don't do that do this and then oh we're now going to bring in our thing and use all the money and all the resources and you can just sit there and sit in a you know pool of water and and that's what she sees she suddenly sees oh wait hang on this kind of aristocratic life that I'm leading back at home and all these people I'm hanging out with are sort of subjugating the you know the, my people the people that I where I come from um 
And she hears this, well, she kind of feels that, because there is a fight for, you know, emancipation in India, uh, for people to, to have the right to, to rule themselves and that kind of thing. And she hears this sort of cry for for some sort of voice to to stand up and, and speak out for them, which will later come in, you know, in, in the shape of Gandhi and other people. But at this point, that you know, there's nobody really doing that. And at the same time, her sister, Bamba, had had quite a bad experience. Bamba had uh, managed to get a place to study medicine in Chicago at Northwestern University. And she went over there and they did not take kindly to a woman at university, least of all studying medicine, and a brown woman at that. And having secured this place and gone over there, they basically said, yeah, you're not coming in. And they sent her home. Yeah, with a with a sort of, you know, take note, upstart. How dare you? How dare you do this? So at this point, she's like, actually, maybe not everything is is as as kind of glittering and fabulous as I thought. And that her 20s spent having fabulous parties and not really seeing any kind of other side to it. Mm -hmm. She suddenly is like she switched on to this. She suddenly goes, wait, there's a there's a thing here. So she comes back to England after the Delhi Durbar and she's obviously a little bit kind of discombobulated, I guess. And she hears that similar sort of cry for a voice and and to be heard amongst the women who are fighting for the right to vote, the suffragettes and the suffragists. And Sfaradu Leap Singh, princess, Indian princess, royalty, living in England, goddaughter to Queen Victoria gets involved with the suffrage movement. Come on. I know. <laughs> now, I don't know, we haven't, have we spoken much about the suffragettes and the suffragists? Not that much, actually. I don't know that we have. We've touched upon it a little bit. Yeah. But we just certainly case, haven't done a whole episode. No, and in case anyone out there is unsure what the difference is between suffragettes and suffragists. At the start, there was sort of one thread of suffrage, of, of women's suffrage, trying to, to to push forward that right to vote. And they start to disagree on the best ways to do it. You have the suffragette movement, very famously headed up by Emmeline Pankhurst, who go down the route of, well, her, the motto was deeds, not words. So it went down the route of um, setting bombs and setting fire to things and smashing windows and cutting communication wire and setting fire to politicians' houses. And the other strand strand was the suffragettes. And the suffragettes were about peaceful protest. So they carried on with protesting, with banners, with marches, and you had the kind of divide. Now, the suffragettes, some of you, I'm sure you know, that they were labelled terrorists by the parliament by by the police because i mean essentially that's what they were doing is they were you know causing societal unrest so that's how they've always been uh, characterized and sophia goes down that route she goes down the suffrage route so she gets involved and due to her status she gets quite quickly enveloped into emmeline pankhurst's inner circle which is a very privileged place to be and also, you know, she's quite useful because she is a famous face. Well, of course. You know, everyone's got her hairstyle. Um, and suddenly she is, a, 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 you know, a famous name in the cause of the whole thing. She supports the WSPU, which is the Women's Social and Political Union. And that is the militant bit. And when they become militant, she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, we're doing this. 
And her she's former... She's got some fire, hasn't she? I mean, she, she really has. She, I mean, yeah. and I love that, you know, because we've talked about people before and we, uh, I don't know if we've talked about Millicent Fawcett. I think we should because she's amazing. Mm. Um, but we've talked about people where they are born and they have that fire immediately in there. The minute they're kind of able to sort of walk and talk, they're like, right, I want to do this and this is my mm. thing. And I mm. kind of love it with Sophia that she's she's not like that at all. She spends ages just doing her own thing and it's something, you know, it takes an event to turn her around and go, oh, hang about. This this warrants my attention and I need to yeah. pull my socks up a bit. Um, Now, of course, all of these socialite aristocratic friends she's been hanging out with are quite embarrassed by all of this they are well, not bet. Like, well what are you doing Sophia we saw you in the papers Emily Pankhurst what are you doing exactly and of course you know Emily Pankhurst is out there getting getting arrested and all that kind of thing and, and Sophia is the same so I, I said earlier her first arrest at age nine is definitely not her last because she goes along the suffragette route and she gets arrested and all that kind of stuff and one thing that she did and I think this is the biggest stand that she makes is out she would stand outside Hampton Court Palace selling the suffragette paper really yes and there's a picture of her there with a sandwich board standing outside this place that you know belongs to the queen and she wow. is getting for free as part of her you know goddaughter of the queen thing and she's like i don't care there's bigger fish to fry and she's standing out there selling the newspaper at the entrance to Hampton Court Palace oh. Do you Amazing. think that King Edward VII kind of pulled her aside at all and said, look, what are you doing? I mean, I mean highly likely. Had, yeah, uh, highly likely. conversations with, with royalty about it. Almost certainly, yeah. Mm. Because she didn't really lose her, her position as far as I'm aware. I don't think she lost her position in, in the court too much. Um, she would also, as well as ha- selling this paper, she would go and leaflet and canvas in places like Richmond and Kingston as well. And across the country, occasionally she'd go and, and, and travel around a bit and go leafleting and canvassing in other places. So, you know, Richmond and Kingston would be very well used to, to having a, an Indian princess turn up on their doorstep and, and hand them a flyer about, you know, votes for women, which is amazing. She didn't just stop there. She also became involved with a group called the Women's Tax Resistance League. And this is exactly as it sounds. The slogan was no vote, no tax. So essentially, if you don't let me vote, I ain't going to pay tax because why should I? Why should I pay Mm. money to you lot when I don't get a say in what that money is used for or Mm -hmm. or what happens in this country? Um, She so she she refused to pay tax for many time for for many years and she was arrested and prosecuted several times over this too Goodness. I know. do you know what's going on with her sister at this point i don't actually know too much about her sisters no um she's got two sisters bamba and oh, i can't remember the other one's name i don't actually know too much about what happens with them probably worth a little look in actually um i don't if they were involved in the suffrage movement as well i haven't come across them in the same way mm. um Now, in 1910, something happens in the suffrage movement, which is a really, really big deal. It's the Black Friday March. There had been a bill that had been uh, put to Parliament and and they'd sort of been told that this was a bill that was going to give them some rights in terms of voting. And Emmeline Pankhurst and the suffragettes had actually pulled back on militancy they'd stopped doing stuff for a few months because they'd said okay well if you're going to give us that we'll just kind of hold off for a bit and see what happens and on this one day they heard that this vote had actually at the last minute had been nixed just been the the guy who promised it to them had scrapped it 
And 300 suffragettes who'd been meeting just around the corner marched on Parliament to protest this this failure. And what they um, faced on that day was quite a lot of unexpected violence from the police. The A lot of these women, these suffrage women, were uh, sort of upper middle class or upper class people because often... This is you don't often find the upper class people coming out in support of the lower classes, but for the suffrage movement you do because a lot of the working class women just simply could not afford to take time off yeah. to go and protest. Much as yeah. they wanted that vote and they wanted that emancipation, they just physically couldn't because if they didn't work, they didn't feed their kids, and it was as simple as that. So a lot of the women were upper class women, not all of them. There were some women who were able to go along uh, from from the lower middle and, and working classes. But generally it was the, you know, the upper upper classes. And what they'd done on this day, because this guy knew that there was going to be a bit of argy-bargy from him having nixed the bill, had brought in a whole load of police officers from places like Whitechapel. Now, Whitechapel was a very, I mean, you know, when you say Whitechapel to people, they go, ooh, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, and Jack the Ripper, 1888, not very long, well, 25 years or so before this, but the Whitechapel, it gives you a sense of what it's like there. Very, very poor. The police over there are very handle things very differently to the way that police would handle stuff in affluent Westminster and, and Knightsbridge and Kensington. So normally they'd treat them all with, you know, very sort of gentle. Could you stop doing that, please? Excuse me, madam, move <laughs> along. But they brought in these Whitechapel police and these Whitechapel police, and they didn't, you know, give two the hoots. The battens are out. Oh, yeah. And they got battered like really badly battered by them and oh, lots yeah. of well quite actually quite unexpected violence but also a lot of a lot of sexual assault which came out later that there was been a bit there'd been a lot of sexual assault during this march on black friday and sophia herself fought off a police officer who was beating up one of her sister suffragettes oh my god yeah, yeah. so she you know she's not just standing back and whatever she's getting stuck in and she's literally punching this guy um on another occasion, she threw herself on the the front windscreen of the Prime Minister's car as he was driving past with a leaflet pressed on it. What? So she's gone from being this little wolf... Well, I don't know what wallflower necessarily, but this socialite with, you know, no cares in the world to this girl who is willing to fling herself onto a moving car to achieve the aims that she, that, that she and the group want. So God, it's, it's so interesting. It's so you know, it's a one eighty, absolute one eighty from where she was. It really is. It's that kind of you can imagine just her thinking that this life is how everybody is living. You know, you've got the glitz and glamour, mm. and there's no worries in the world. And then to suddenly go to India and see all that poverty, yeah, and hardship, and be like, actually, I'd much prefer to have a life where I'm pushing myself for others. Mm. Absolutely. And and as well as the suffrage, she, whenever she found um, groups of uh, Indians or Sikhs uh, anywhere in, you know, in the UK, wherever she found them, she would endeavour to try and help them in some way. Mm. Um, because it was that thing of, you know, suddenly she'd realised that, that there are differences here and they need to be counteracted. Um, she carried on. So when this this Black Friday thing happened and this really started a lot of the, you know, the militancy kind of upped, uh, was upped by the suffragettes because suddenly they realised that, you know, the gloves were off, really. Um, and in 1911, she was fined £3 
for illegally keeping a coach and helper. Now, in order to keep a and actually, I think she was fined for having dogs as well, keeping dogs. In order to do all of these things, you had to have a license, and she refused. She just said, look, I'm not paying for a license for these things if I'm not allowed the right to vote. Why should I have to pay for this stuff? So it's on top of resisting the tax, she's resisting just paying for the licences that, that they had in place. So on this occasion, a bailiff arrived at her house to collect the money. She refused, shut the door in his face. They came in anyway, and he took her diamond ring and he sold it to get the money for it. Now, what I love about this is that, and I don't know which friend this was. I don't know if it was her pre-suffrage friend or uh, one of her suffrage friends, went out and bought it and gave it back to her. Wow. I know. Really lovely. Really Gosh. lovely. That is and really nice. Would you so, do that for me? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd definitely buy you back your cubic zirconia ring, yeah. <laughs> You'd probably give me a gummy bear ring, wouldn't you? I probably would, yeah, yeah. Keep the ring <laughs> you for myself. Like but here you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you asked about, about royalty and... I don't know too much about her relationship with Edward VII. I I suspect that there would have been a decent relationship there because of his relationship with her father, but it clearly soured because by the time it gets to George V, George V is is he's quite a powerful enemy of hers, and the other person who really takes against her for obvious reasons is Winston Churchill as well. Mm. Winston Churchill gets talked about a lot in terms of you know what an amazing guy he is and how saintly he is and all that kind of thing. I mean, you have to take everybody with a bit of black and white, a bit of pinch, a bit of a pinch of salt. Winston Churchill is not all one hundred percent good. He was against women having the right to vote. He was against Indian self rule. There's a you know there's he's a complex mm. character like most big people you know in, in that kind of arena are so she's got she's gone from being the goddaughter to queen victoria to having you know quite a lot of the establishment pretty anti her and then world war one hits in 1914 and this is one of the things that really helps the women's suffrage movement because at the end of the war all these men come back from the war and the women have been doing the jobs and there's a definitely a movement of come on, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. So during World War One, she volunteered as a nurse and she worked in Isleworth, which is out uh, West London. I mean, not, not too far from Hampton Court, to be honest. And she treated wounded Indian soldiers who'd been evacuated from the front. And what was really lovely about it is they would come in from the front, they would come into this hospital and all of a sudden, sitting next to them on a chair and tending to them is the daughter sorry the granddaughter of Ranjit Singh this line of the Punjab who they still I mean still to this day people in the Punjab idolize Ranjit Singh and they cannot believe that his granddaughter is there tending their wounds and and healing them wow that must have been such a weird moment yeah it would have been so uh, you know such an incredible thing to suddenly yeah see her there and and be like oh my goodness this is yeah it'd be be really weird wouldn't it yeah really surreal so, of course, as we know, some women get the right to vote in 1918. Not all women. You have to be uh, 30 and over and you have to own property. So that does really bring it down to better off women who are able to, to own property. Um, and it's not till 1928 that we get the vote on the same footing as men. In the 1920s, she and her sister Bamba um, went to India again. And this time it was a very different trip. Because this time people knew she was going and she she and her sister were absolutely mobbed by the crowds. They had come to see Ranjit Singh's 
granddaughters. They'd come to see the Maharaja's daughters. And wherever they went, they were just mobbed by people. People were so excited to see them. Oh, my God. And she also helped because her fame, you know, her sort of fame as a, not just a, a, you know, Maharaja's daughter, but also her fame as a famous suffragette had Mm. reached India. And so she boosted female suffrage in India as well. So there was, you know, this, her role is kind of multifaceted. Gosh, you can imagine the excitement, can't you? Yeah. The excitement to see them. I know. And then after World War I, she joined the Suffragette Fellowship. And Emmeline Pankhurst, um, as, you know, eventually as all these things happened, um, died in 1928, shortly before uh, women got the right to vote on the same basis. She knew it was happening, but, you know, shortly before it actually became law. And then... Uh, Sophia became president of the committee and she was a member until she died in 1948. So really fascinating lady and just, you know, somebody that you would not expect from that background of partying and and, and being that kind of person mm. to go on and, and do that. So there we go. That's that's Sophia Dudley Singh. Wow, what an incredible woman. Yeah. I'm so surprised that, you know... I've done quite a lot of research here and there when it comes to the the suffragette movement and just haven't come across her name. Like, she clearly played such an important role. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I mean, she was seven seven in her 70s when she died, so she had a really good innings. As far as I'm aware, she didn't marry. Um, And she... When she died, she was um, living in a place in Buckinghamshire, which was a house that was owned by her other sister, not Bamba... um, so this is oh Catherine that I think that was her name Catherine I think it was, and she was then create, cremated at Golders Green Crematorium, and one of the things that she'd wanted is that she had said that she wanted to be cremated according to the you know the the, the normal way that you would in in the Sikh faith, um her grandfather you know that that's her that's her faith and then her ashes she wanted them to be spread in India, um so she's yeah her ashes are in India, spread somewhere. Wow. Which I think is very interesting for somebody who was born here, but very clearly felt that pull back to where her roots were. Gosh, what an incredible woman. Yeah. There's so many wonderful images that you described. I mean, just even her outside Hampton Court Palace, which was her home, where you've got so much history entwined with the royal family, and then she's there handing out these flyers, votes for women. And there is a photo of her, which I'm showing Emily. Oh wow! Oh look and we will at put her. Up. So she's she's sitting there. She's against the oh, fence. She she's got fabulous. her big thick coat on and her hat, looking yeah, fabulous. Huge sandwich boards. Yeah. Goodness me! Selling that paper. She looks like a very determined woman. Very. Determined. She's got that steely look about her, mm, hasn't she? Mm. Um, yeah. So wow. That's Fire Singh. So that's the kind of the end of that. I, love that. I mean, you know, two generations yeah. of the same family, which have quite a lot of. A lot of history, a lot of happenings in just those two generations. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Alex. Oh, my pleasure. Podcast pedestal. Gosh, I have so many, so many different things that could potentially be podcast pedestal. But because this was your week, you go first. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's two things for me, really. It's either when her dad kind of tries to go back and ends up, you know, they don't, they don't get there. Um, 
But I think that's possibly the start of her realising her roots. But I mean, realistically, I think for me, it's going to have to be the Delhi Durbar that she goes to. Mm. Where she, she goes to India for the first time. She sees what's going on. She sees all the kind of pomp and pageantry of the the royal bit. But she then suddenly sees the people of her country, that you know her kind of roots and, and her sort of rightful country, that in theory she should have been then queen of. Um, and she sees them in a very different light and suddenly kind of realises that awakening, I think, is, uh, yeah. So I think that for me, that's the one. Yes, that is a very good one. That is a very, very good one. <laughs> very, very good one. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm going to go with her jump in. Did you say it was on the, the Prime Minister's car? Yeah, Prime Minister's, the, the front of his car, the... the yeah. um, Jumping onto the, the, the windscreen. Prime Minister's windscreen with yeah. the with this leaflet just, just sort of sign. smushed Bang. into the window. You can imagine just, it just like you really can. quick, like, and you can imagine just her, her, you know, steely face just being like, "Look at this!" Look at this. <laughs> exactly right in his eyes. Yeah, I like to imagine um, it being Boris Johnson. That gives me some. some uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what are you doing? Some comfort. Yeah, I think I'm going to go for that. Yeah. yeah. Good yeah. call. Good choice. I like that. Mm. Quite a, quite oh, a brave thing to do. Alex. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Mm. She is a she, she's a really interesting lady, and I love I love talking about people who slip through the gaps a little bit. And she's again, she's one of those people who has started to be talked about a bit in the same way that five ten years ago Mary Seacole wasn't being talked about, and now is. Mm. I imagine. I don't know if Toronto Fire is going to have the same trajectory that Mary Seacole did. Um. I'd like to think she would, but yeah, I like kind of talking about those people and uh, discovering them a little bit. Yeah, fabulous. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, as we say, we are going to do a. Oh yes, we're not spinning the wheel. Put the wheel away, um... Emily. Put the wheel away. (laughs) (laughs) Give that finger a rest. Um, Yes, we're (laughs) going to. uh, Yeah, we'll we'll do a coronation special, I think, because there are some pretty good stories all about the coronations. so yeah, let's do that. Great. Wonderful. Thank you all so much for coming and listening this week, gang. We really Thank appreciate you. it. We will see you next week and have a great week. And we'll see you on, in, on the Platinum Jubilee week. Woo. Enjoy everyone. Big love. Bye. Bye.